It's a privilege for me to be with you. Um, actually, my family is from this whole area. I, I never lived here, um, but my mother is a graduate of Thomasville High School. Uh, my dad is a graduate of Cairo High School. Go syrup makers. I, I, love, I just love that. Um, my grandparents lived on uh, North Pine Tree Boulevard, just around the corner. Uh, my dad was raised on a farm out near Pine Park Baptist Church, Pine Park, somewhere between here and Cairo. We used to come here for summers, so this is like coming home in many ways. And so I'm thrilled to be, thrilled to be with you. Uh, I have known Jamie and Tiffany for a long time. Tiffany was our very first babysitter uh, when she was in middle school. She babysat our, I think Jared was uh, 18 months old at the time. And so she babysat him, and now that 18-month-old is about to be a father himself. So we are all getting, getting older. Uh, he's not 18 months still. He's, uh, yeah, he's 26. So anyway, great to be with you. We're going to have fun this morning, and I want to thank Randy for that word. Randy, right? Um, thank you for that word. Uh, you'll see it's going to tie in uh, to what I believe God has given me to uh, share with you this morning. I'd love to tell you more about myself, but this isn't about me, right? Hello? This isn't about me. This is about the Word of God, and I'll share some personal stories as I share the Word of God this morning. My, my, con- <coughs> Excuse me, my conviction is this. Most of us here don't need more information. Uh, you're, you've got plenty of information Uh, Jamie just finished a a series called It Is Written uh, on the Word of God and how the Word of God affects our lives. What what we need to do is take what we know and apply it to who we are and how we respond to people. Uh, We need to, to get beyond just knowing truth and doing truth. I'm not sure you're convinced yet. Thanks, Tiff. Um, I am I, so convinced of this. Uh, the people in our church, we, we have a church that's about 23, 24 years old now. Wonderful place. Godly people. And yet it seems like we're still struggling with some of the same problems we've always struggled with. Um, it, it's not that they haven't heard great preaching over the years. Amen? Uh, It's not that they haven't been in a great worship experience. It's not that they haven't been in a loving congregation, but somehow there's this disconnect between here and here. So this morning, I want to try and help us connect a little bit so that as we leave and go to wherever we're going to go today, that the Word of God would move through us to touch the people around us in a powerful, powerful way. Let me start with a story. In in May of 1980, some of you are old enough to remember this event, um, Mount St. Helens in southern Washington erupted. Uh, It was the largest volcanic eruption in North America that's ever been recorded Um, I mean, we've had worse ones, but we weren't around to see it, uh, most likely. 
And so as far as recorded eruptions, this is the most significant one that's ever occurred in North America. Scientists had moved people out of the area because they had enough knowledge that it was going to occur. But in spite of that, 57 people died in the eruption of Mount St. Helens. Uh, Right next to the mountain was this 83-year-old dude by the name of Harry Truman. Uh, Harry Truman, not, you know, the president Harry, but same name. Harry Truman was 83, and he was always, he was like uh, the dude on Duck Dynasty, uh, Cy, who was, he was always carrying a, a Coke or a tea. Uh, there was some suspicion there was more in it than just that, but he was always, uh, he was on television all the time because they were evacuating everybody out of the area, and Harry Truman lived literally in the shadow of Mount St. Helens on a lake called, ironically, Spirit Lake, uh, and he ran a lodge on this lake. And the interviewers would come and say, why, why are you still here? Why don't you leave? And he says, you know, I've been raised here. I've lived here my whole life. That mountain has never betrayed me, and it won't betray me now. On the morning of the eruption of Mount St. Helens, when the volcano erupted, a landslide occurred A landslide, this is earth moving. Um, It moved at over 150 miles an hour when the volcano erupted. When it hit Spirit Lake, scientists have estimated that it's the largest movement of land in an instantaneous eruption ever in any volcano. When it hit Spirit Lake, which is not that big a lake, it created waves 600 feet high. It hit it with such force. Uh, Today, Harry is buried under 275 feet of volcanic debris. He was a little off in his prediction that the mountain wouldn't betray him. At the same moment, there is a guy named David Johnston. David Johnston was a 30-year-old national park worker, David Johnson was very unique in that he had accurately predicted that the volcano was not going to erupt vertically, but rather laterally. Uh, He was one of the few guys who said, you know, all my uh, predictions are it's not going to go up, it's going to go out. And on the morning of the eruption, David Johnson was six miles from Mount St. Helens and was observing the mountain And he's the first one to have reported that the volcano erupted. On a radio, he said, Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it. When the mountain erupted, there was a blast of mixture of hot gases and volcanic debris that moved over the face of the earth at 670 miles an hour. I mean, we can't even imagine the power unleashed from this volcano. It leveled everything in a fan-shaped design for 23 miles. Every tree, every house, everything was completely leveled for 23 miles. David Johnson was six miles away, and the last words he ever recorded were, Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it. His body was never found. Now, you may be saying, why are you telling us this joyful story? 
you have two guys. One who denied that the volcano was even going to erupt. One who accurately predicted everything it was going to do. Both died in the same event. What, what do you mean? Listen, it is not enough to know something. It translates in what we do. You, you understand? Many of us know plenty about the Christian life. And we say we believe. I believe in prayer. Really? Okay. How much do you pray? Well, I, you know, I believe in it in a concept, a theory. No, no, no. You either, when you believe something, you act upon it. Faith without, is what? It's dead. Saying I believe something and then not ever doing it is not really belief. That's intellectual assent. Faith is belief plus me. Plus me, active in the process. So many of us say we believe in prayer. We believe in going to church. We believe in tithing. We believe in uh, any number of things. But do we actually act upon them? One of my contentions is always been that you act upon what you believe to be true. Now, whether it's true or not is really irrelevant, but you act upon what you believe to be true. You brush your teeth. Why? Why do we brush our teeth? I, I, I want breath that smells fresh and minty, and I believe that uh, the people around me will get closer to me because I don't smell horrible. I don't want my teeth falling out. Uh, There's all sorts of things. I brush my teeth for a reason. I know that's silly, but if I didn't believe those things, I wouldn't brush my teeth. It's a a pain. I don't really like brushing my teeth all that much. Some of you may like it more than me, but, you know, it's not like something that brings pure joy to my life. There's a discipline to it, but it's based on a belief, and I act upon it because I believe it to be true. This morning, I want to kind of translate that for us in the moments we have remaining into this whole concept of very simple concept, something we know is foundational to the Christian life, but it has to do with love. Love. And by the end, I'm hoping that you'll see this is a big deal. Love is. And the truth is that... There are many of us today who say we believe that God is love, but we don't really act like it. We believe that God said we're supposed to love people, but we're we're struggling with that truth. So I want to help us get our beliefs into actions when it comes to this whole truth about love. And I'm going to be speaking from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and following. Now, I'm going to put the scripture passages up here for you, but if you have your Bible, I'd prefer you turn to that, Uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and following. So here's the first point. We were created for love. We were created for love. Here's what John says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It's been accurately said that 
Love does not define God, but God defines love. Why is that? Because he is love. He is the very definition of love. And you were designed or created to love because you're designed in his image. If God is love and you're created in the image of God, then you're designed to love. Everybody loves something. I mean, really, on the face of this earth, I, I, I believe that everybody loves something. Now, many of us love the wrong things, but we all love something. You know, I'm from Alabama. Lord help us. Our children can't read, but college football reigns in our state. <laughs> Why? Because it's important. We love it. We love college football. We love all sorts of things. Why? Why is that? Because God created something within us with the desire to love. Because he is love. You were created to love. The problem is that once sin happened, love gets corrupted. Bad things happen with love. Uh, When man was created in the Garden of Eden, pure, unblemished love. Love for man and woman, love with God, and then sin entered and everything got screwed up. That's a biblical term. Uh, Everything got messed up. And so um, the problem is we started loving the wrong stuff. There's an author named Paul David Tripp. He's one of my favorites, and he says this, and he says it much better than I can, so I'm just going to read you what he said. Sin altered every thought, desire, word, and deed. It created a world of double-mindedness and mixed motives, self-worship, and self-absorption. People desired to be served, but they hated serving. They craved control and nurtured delusions of self-sufficiency. They forgot their creator but worshipped the creation. People, rather than loving people and using things to express it, people loved things and used people to get them. Isn't that good? I mean, he sums up the nature of sin in all of this, but especially when it comes to love, I think he gives a great picture of the corruption of love. That rather than loving people, we loved things and we used people to get the things that we loved. Here's the good news. God created us for love. Bad news, sin corrupted love. Better news, we were redeemed by love. We were redeemed by love. John goes on, and it's already said it in 1 John, but in verses 9 and 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. Sin is killing us, and we don't even know it. But God loved us so much. Here's the deal. Many of us are blind, but we don't even know we're blind. Um. A couple of years ago, um, my eyes had started to change. Uh, you know, as you get older, 
things start to, <laughs> things start to happen uh, to you that uh, I don't even want to describe most of them, but, uh, you know, your eyesight, your eyesight starts to change. So, like, I could, I, I've always had contacts where, you know, I could see far away, but now I couldn't, I couldn't see, I couldn't read, and I do a lot of reading. And so, uh, my doctor said, well, you can get bifocal contacts, which is one thing that you may not even know these things exist, bifocal contacts. Um, and, or he said, you can get a contact that is for distance in one eye and reading in another eye. Did y'all know this? You can do this? You can like have two different contacts and I'm like, well, how, how am I going to see, you know? Uh, I don't know which way I'm going to look. And, and it's it actually a female um, doctor who did this with me and she said, your brain adjusts. Your brain figures it out, and it'll take a couple of days, but it'll sort when you're reading versus when you're looking for distance. And I said, well, I'll try the two different contacts. Just try it out and see if I like it or don't like it. Well, one of the things that had happened was I had to go renew my driver's license. So, um, and (laughs) I'll try not to make this story too long, although it's really funny. Uh, I, I, I drive over to Tuscaloosa, which is like 40 miles from my house, to get my driver's license. My notes are now wet, so um, we're fine up here. Everything's good. Where was I? I'm headed to Tuscaloosa to get my driver's license. Second service is going to be really fun. Uh, so, um, I'm headed to Tuscaloosa to get my driver's license. Thanks. <laughs> we'll make it work. Yeah, it's hopeless. That's going to work. So, I'm headed to Tuscaloosa to get my driver's license. Uh, I get there, and... Um, I was trying for this new thing called a star ID. Do y'all have that here? Um, It's kind of like you got to have, coming up pretty soon, you got to have this certain thing on your driver's license to get on planes, get into courthouses, and some sort of validation. In Alabama, we call it star ID, so you got to go through these extra hoops. Anyway, the point of the story is I'm renewing my driver's license, and she goes, okay, you need to take an eye exam. Okay, I can see. We're good. I just went to the eye doctor a week ago. So they put you on this little machine, and... They block out one eye. You know what I mean? They block out. So like the eye f- that was for the distance, uh, clear as a bell. The eye for reading, I, I couldn't see thunder. I mean, really, because it was not designed like this. And so I say to the lady, hey, you know what? I've got two different contacts in, one for reading and one for distance. Because, you know, they're going to be understanding at the DMV. They're going to... They're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're full of grace and love and mercy there. And so I'm trying to explain to her, I got two different contacts in. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're going to have to come back. I'm like 40 miles away from my house. I'm like, I'm not coming back here. I can see. I'm like, are there any options here for me? And she goes, well, we can go in the hallway and we can do it on a chart down at the end of the hall. And you can cover one eye and one eye and. So I got out there, still nothing. I can't see the, I can't read the chart at the end of the hallway. So I said, you know, I, I'm thinking in my head, and 
Please don't judge me for the remainder of this story, okay? So I, I'm thinking there's got to be a way I can do this. What if I go to the bathroom and I flip my contacts, put them in different eyes, and I come back and show her that with the one eye, I'm, I, now I'm good with this eye. So I said to her, can I go to the restroom and just play with my contacts? Maybe I'll be able to see better. Um, and she goes, sure. Go, on, go, 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 go ahead. So... The, the eye chart is at the end of the hall, and the exit is right next to the eye chart. Some of, you are, some of you are way ahead of me here. So she steps out, and I go to the eye chart, and I memorize the eye chart. <laughs> I just do a little song in my head. You know how you do these little songs to get all the letters? And I memorize the eye chart. I go out. I go to the bathroom. I come back, and E, F, G, L, M, and E-F-G-L-M, and she goes, okay, you're good. It's time to go. Now, again, don't judge me. Here's the point. Sometimes we're blind. We're blind about stuff, and we don't even know it until God does something to expose. And he uncovers it for us, and suddenly we're like, whoa, I never saw this before. I've never seen it. We need redemption. We think we need a lot of things, but what we really need is a Savior because our love has been so corrupted, we don't even know what pure, unadulterated love looks like. But Jesus does. And God came down and rescued you. This is the gospel, people. This is the gospel that while we were still sinners... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, look, if you're looking down, please look at me for one second, because I'm going to tie this into what Randy said earlier. God loves you. God loves you. You may feel abandoned. You may have been abandoned by people. But God loves you. How much does he love you? He loves you so much. He sent the only son he has to die for you. So what do I got to do to get God to love me more? What did you get God to do to love you in the first place? Nothing. Nothing. God loves you. Now, here's your problem, my problem. We believe God is love and God loves people in the abstract. Yeah, God loves the world. But God, does God love me? And the devil is trying to get you to believe that God doesn't love you. That you've screwed up so badly. That you've messed up so many times. That you aren't worthy of love. That because your parent abandoned you or your wife abandoned you, that God has also abandoned you and that he doesn't love you. And I want to encourage you right now by faith to put a stop to that lie from the pit of hell that God doesn't love you, to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Only he can give you the strength to do it. Now, there's a grace approach that says, I want you to feel this love. But there's a faith approach that says, I want you to seize this love. I want you to believe what God says about you, which is that he loves you. If, if you and I could really get this truth that we're loved by God, 
Jamie's counseling load would go way down. Because many of the problems that you experience in your life is because that you don't really believe that God loves you. Now you're like, wow, this sounds so basic. It is so basic that the enemy is trying to knock this foundation out of your life to believe that God loves you. And this is why the gospel is such good news. It is such good news because I, I'm not, if I look at me, I don't feel all that worthy to be loved. And yet God loves me nonetheless. Receive the love of God. I could, obviously, this is a good, this is a truth that's worth holding on to. And we would stay here for the rest of the time, but really, John is headed to a different place. He's assuming that his believers believe that, believes that God loves them, that God is loved, they're created love, they're redeemed by love. But really, John's headed to this final place, which is that we're to respond in love. We're to be a people of love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How is God's love made complete in us? By receiving and responding in love. There's something unleashed in us when we love others. You know, a couple of truths here, and because my time is going to run out. Number one, respond to people in love that will communicate love to them. You know, not everybody receives love in the same way. Have you heard of the whole languages of love thing? Study the five languages of love, and the idea in it is that people give and receive love in different ways. I have five children. Um, Love my kids. Three boys, two girls. Um, I, I'm blessed with a great family. But they're all really different. You know, I, I was there for every one of their births. I know they came from the same woman. But other than that, I, you know, really they are so radically different. The way they respond in things and the way they do things. And I can't talk to one like I talk to another. For instance, I'll just give you this one example. One day my daughter was in my office um, doing some studying. By the way, this is another thing that shows you how much you're in the family. You know, nobody else goes in my office and just uses my office, except my kids. You know, they have a freedom to come into my office and use my computer and study at my desk that most other people, you know, God loves you in that way. You're part of his family. So much you can come into his office, come boldly before the throne of grace and else ask for help in, my t- in time of need. That's another good sermon, but it's not the one for today. Anyway, so Annalise is in my office, and I come into my office the next day, and I have this whiteboard in my office, and this is on my whiteboard. Isn't that sweet? You know, I love you. It's all, you know, very pretty handwriting. and So this is honest truth. Two days later, my oldest son, Jared, who... Tiffany used to babysit. He's in his mid-20s at the time. He's in my office also doing some work. He coaches soccer full-time and was doing some team stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so he was in my office. I come in the next day after he's used my office, and I find this note taped to my computer screen. (laughs) 
So, so, I mean, I don't know if you can read the whole thing. It says, loser, thanks for the H2O. So not only did he, is he calling me a loser, he's stealing my stuff. He's stealing my water. Now, if I didn't know my two kids really well, I wouldn't know. This is just two different ways of saying I love you. And by the way, if the second one isn't I love you, don't tell me. I just, I I choose to believe. You know, boys are different than girls. If I found this scrolly I love you thing on my screen, I would think, dude, what, what happened to him? But him calling me a loser is his way of saying, hey, Dad, I love you. People respond in different ways. And just because they're different than us, don't get bent out of shape. We need to respond in love. Jesus, and I'll just skip these passages because you know them well, but Jesus, when asked what the greatest commandments are, love God and what? Love people. Every other law, every other command hangs on these two. So it's not just to say, hey, I want to love God. I need to love people. Since I'm not at my church, I'll just give you one of my pet peeves, but don't tell them I said this. Um, One of my pet pet peeves is when I hear people say, you know, I love Jesus, but I just don't love his church. I want to say to them, then you don't love Jesus. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Listen, Jesus said, love God, love people. John comes to the point that says, if you say you love God and don't love your brothers, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That's my slight paraphrase. Now you may say, well, you're just saying that because you're a pastor and you've got a local church. And I'm saying it because I believe it's what the Bible says. That we receive the love of God. We were created for love. We were redeemed by love. And we respond in love as well. Because that's who we are. We're going to follow after our Father God. Here's some things about loving. And I'm just going to close with these real quick. Our love for others is not dependent on our personality. Um, I am more introverted by nature. Which means I'd rather be alone than with a lot of people. Um, so I could hang my head on the excuse, you know, I can't really love people because God made me as an introvert and, you know, I don't really want to be around people. And, um, I, I just don't think that's it. I don't think his love at work through me is ever dependent on me other than me saying yes to his love working its way out through me. You can think about that. Here's one that's really tough. My love for people is not dependent on their lovability. You know, know, some people are more like porcupines than they are people. (laughs) You know, the closer you get to them, they just keep... uh, uh, uh. And at some point you want to say, they're just not very lovable. So what? Love them anyway. Love them anyway. You're, and you're like, well, what if I get stuck again? Ah, you know what? Let me tell you. You're going to get stuck again. It's going to happen. You know, hurting people hurt people. You can write that one down. I use it all the time in counseling. 
and it sounds really stupid, but it's true. Hurting people hurt people. Well, how do we get them to be non-hurting people? Well, we're going to love them into the grace of God. Doesn't depend on their lovability. And our loving people, uh, this sounds fancier, it it says it's not dependent on perceived reciprocity. What I mean by that is I don't love people if they're going to love me back. Many of us, we work this way. We measure the whole situation. Hey, I, I want the Joneses to be friends with us, but I wonder if they want to be friends with us. So I'm going to, you know, we kind of, I don't think I said that right, but by that I mean I measure how much I want to love them by how much love I'm going to get in return. That's not the way to love. We are to be a people of love. Here are the things I would like to love, and I believe this is a church of love already. I want to see you go from here to here to here to touch this city with the love of Jesus Christ. So here's my encouragement to you today. Know that God loves you. You were created for love. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, and you now have the opportunity to just be a person who lets the love of God flow through you to touch the world around you. And and doing so, you will be not merely a hearer of the word of God, but you'll be a doer of the word of God. Also, for some of you, you just need right now to receive the love of God. You need to receive it afresh and anew and to silence the voice of the enemy who says he doesn't love you so that you can walk in the fullness of the destiny for which he's created and redeemed you. Okay, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to turn it over to Jamie. Lord, may we be a people of love. May we be a people who receive the truth that you are a God of love, that you've redeemed us. You loved us so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. How much do you love us now that we're your children? Beyond measure. And Lord, I pray that we in turn will not just receive that love, but we'll show it to the world around us, to everywhere we go. Spirit of God, do your work in each of our lives today. Wherever we are, just touch us with this truth about being loved or loving others. In Jesus' name, amen.